Hello, Conversations with Dwyer listeners. If you are enjoying the podcast, but you want a little bit more, you can become a Patreon subscriber. And for $5 a month, you can get bonus content, bonus episodes, and a podcast that I create solely for Patreon, where I talk to comedians about the music that they like. And you get a pin that was created by Charlene Yee of the, the, the Conversations with Dwyer logo. So please, become a Patreon subscriber. The link is in my show notes under All Things Dwyer, or you can just go to themattdwyer.com. Thank you, and enjoy this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer, and this is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in was Primordial Soup, and that is from the band Nap Eyes from their album Snapshot of a Beginner, which was out in 2020. And they also have a new EP out called When I Come Around, which is also a reference to the Green Day song because that cover is on the EP by the same title, and it's a great cover and it's a great EP and. Nap Eyes is great. And speaking of Nap Eyes, my guest today is Nigel Chapman, the singer-songwriter of that band, and I'm very excited to have him on. All things uh, Nigel Chapman and Ch- uh, and um, Nap Eyes are in the show notes, so please go and support them, buy their music, and, uh, you know, listen to their music. But most importantly, support them financially. Streaming doesn't do anything. I talk about that all the time on the show, and so do my guests. But I just wanted to say it again. Uh, I know I just plugged the Patreon in the opening of the prior to the show, but um, Nigel and I do talk for an extra half hour. That is on the Patreon. You can become a subscriber at themattdwire.com. It's a good way to find all things Matt Dwyer, especially my Instagram, because uh, that's a good way to know who's coming on and who's been on in the past. So you can go visit my library, which is a rich array of very talented people. And also, today's show is uh, sponsored by Pickish Scout. You may know him from Sludge Dome or maybe even Double Trout or whatever. I don't really know uh, because uh, I don't really know who or what that is. But he's today's sponsor, and that's what they wanted. So there you have it. Sludge Dome, Pickish Scout. I don't know if I'm saying offensive things secretly, but that's the sponsor. And you could be a sponsor, too. So why don't you email me at Conversations with Dwyer and check into that or don't um and real quick i just want to say uh i don't know if i need to say this but um i, I think sometimes people think i'm like this guy who know I, I know a lot about music and i think a lot of it is just because i love music and i've been following it since i was a very young person in my teens uh but i this whole podcast if, if just for the record is is partly my journey in music. I'm fortunate enough that I've gotten to talk to people who I've loved for years, like Lou Barlow. Sebado was a big part of my 20s. Um, I'm not attractive today. I'm not a sight for sore eyes is a lyric that has meant everything to me. Not everything. That's a hyperbolic. But I'm just saying, and and a lot of these bands, I am learning along the way. Um, I discover them. I get excited. I want to talk to them. And so they're here. Um, I'm not some like music nerd genius guy who could tell you, you know, who produced this album and it came out in 1975 and this print, uh, pressing costs more than this pressing. I'm not that guy. I wish I was that guy. I don't have the money to be that guy, 
But um, doesn't I just wanted to say that because I, I feel like maybe people don't know that, but this is a big part of this po- podcast is I'm on this journey discovering and exploring music. And um, so, you know, we're sharing it together. And a lot of times, hopefully you listen to the podcast and you're like, oh, great, I know this band or I don't know this band. And I hope it is inspiring you or others, whoever is listening, to uh, explore and, and listen to some of these bands if you don't know them or revisit some bands that you maybe thought of, haven't thought about in a while. Either way, I, I, I view it as we're sort of doing this together. I don't know if that sounds corny or hokey, um, but I hope you're enjoying it. And I gave the email there, conversationswithdwyer at gmail. Email me. Tell me what you think. Or become a Patreon subscriber. I mean, message me there. I'd really appreciate that. Um, all right. That is that. Here is my great chat with Nigel Chapman of NetBuys. Usually people who create good art seem to have good aesthetics in the other aspects of their life, wouldn't you say? You know, there there might well be a, a correlation, uh, like generally, and uh, the flip the flip side I would assert as maybe a possibility is like something like someone that gets very focused in the auditory realm. Their like uh, visual sensibilities might be somewhat like uh, like reduced or something. Sometimes I feel that about myself or like my attention to detail uh, and like some of the organizational chaos in my life. It makes me like not totally confident about my visual aesthetics, but. (laughs) Uh, So wait, are you saying to a level that you you're an unorganized person at in ways? Definitely. Yeah. I think for me, like procrastination and disorganization, it, they're always like it's it's sort of like you're fighting this uh like you're shoring up the front line all the time and beyond that is like a totally unknown land uh but i can keep the things in here uh pretty well organized but then i have sometimes i have to cast things out uh that actually should stay in here like you know like doing your taxes or accounting and stuff like that so, you know because you want to make room for art and, and other other important things right but then uh, important, actually important things from a practical perspective can get uh, thrown out temporarily. Yeah, See, I, I, because I find it because I know you have a science background, which fascinates me, and and then like I don't know, it's it's it seems like a sort of a contradiction because I, I could like creative people tend to be messy and uh, or often or super uh, maybe not. I was just thinking because some people I know who are creative are also just really fucking uptight and like everything in their house is like everything has its place. Right. But also you have the science side. So I think you would, I, maybe I'm being a a science ignorant, (laughs) but it's like, like that you would be super hyper organized. Yeah. Like I, I guess I'd answer that in, in saying that, uh, that that path that I that I took in that I worked in for a while, uh, it probably served the function of uh, like strengthening my inferior function. If you know what I mean, like things that I uh, I'm not so good at usually, uh, I, I was able to improve them. You know, uh, but I don't think by nature I'm especially 
uh, like methodical or, or like, uh, my like detail oriented. So then I had to learn a lot and I felt like it was difficult for me. Uh, like thinking and conceptual wise, I really liked, uh, felt like natural and science in a lot of ways, but in terms of the practical hands-on stuff and procedures, it's really difficult for me. I, I always felt like I was terrible at it. <laughs> I was going to ask if you thought you were a good, good at, at being a scientist. Yeah, again, like, uh, because fortunately it's such a broad domain, uh, it's not, it doesn't all have to be, uh, like super specialized detail oriented. You, there is plenty of room for, uh, sort of a synthetic approach where you're like, uh, finding analogies between different domains and maybe you don't have like incredible like skill, especially in the hands-on stuff, like at the lab bench, I never had much of that. But I felt like I had a, a, an ability to kind of sense a picture, a bigger picture around certain things. Uh, so that, that's, I think, there, there's precedent for that across science. Like some scientists are probably kind of scatterbrained or whatever. Yeah. Well, I guess there is that stereotype of the mad hair and the like, I'm a disorganized scientist, but I got this one thing. Yeah, totally. And, and I mean, certainly uh, in my time at, at school, uh, like I met uh, some such scientists that seem like really kind of, you know, funky and out there and others that are more, you know, straight laced by the book. Uh, yeah. And you studied or you worked in because my wife also studied biochemistry and she's also a creative person. So she was like, yeah, I, I don't think I could really ever get a job in a lab because for that same like she was like, I'm too neurotic and I'd fuck something up. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really relatable to hear. <laughs> did uh, as a a bio as someone who worked in biochemistry, did the whole anti-GMO uh, sort of thing drive you insane? You know, uh, I remember having a few conversations with folks about that over the over the years. Uh, the sense I got is is like a lot of things. It's like there's a nuanced picture here, but usually the strongest re responders to the controversy are people that are are, are taking a basic uh, takeaway message from it. When really there's a lot a lot of entangling factors in there. So yeah, it would be frustrating like talking to someone if they're if they're totally anti-GMO on an almost religious level. Uh, sometimes they don't see that. No, like modifying the organism genetically, there's nothing inherently evil or dangerous about this. Uh, and much of the time it actually does improve crop yields or lead to good beneficial uh, features in these uh, organisms, the plants or whatever. On the other hand, it's when the commercial incentives get intertwined with that uh, and things like the, the Roundup pesticide issue, I think it would be an example where you know, this it's an it's an innocuous change to the the plant, and in fact, it actually makes the plant able to really yield well. And you can kill all the other non-desirable organisms in your crop field, and only have this plant because it's resistant to the Roundup pesticide. But then, on the other hand, you get this like it's a patented organism. The seed is patented, and then you have this like uh, if the farmer doesn't plant this then they won't be able to meet the commercial demands. And so you get this monopolizing and you get all these like negative commercial effects. And then you empower this company that is really not grassroots in a lot of ways. So, so I think there are major uh, issues there, but it's just like anything, it's so complex. So uh, 
yeah, usually I would encounter people like, no, it's terrible or it's, it's totally fine. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Cause her school wouldn't intern like Monsanto. Cause Monsanto was in the same town and they were like, that was the only company that her school wouldn't intern with because of their bad copy patent policies and stuff. Yeah. It seems pretty ruthless or whatever, like big, big business. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was interesting too, because uh, 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 to a degree, I feel like, or what I, from what I read is that you sort of have a work ethic of your approach to songwriting with a sort of the way you approach science. Cause I think you said something about how, you expect failure, like failure is a part of it where, and I was curious about that if, cause I think a lot of people creatively don't accept f- failure or mistakes as that can also just be gifts or that lead to something else. I think p- people don't see that. And I found that interesting. Sure. Yeah. I, I love to talk about that stuff. I, I think like the creative process is so, uh, is so interesting and kind of, um, it's coming like what you're seeing of it or, or experiencing of it as a creator is really just the surface of a lot of things that are taking place at a deeper subconscious level. And there is, if there is no room for uh, mistakes, it's as if you expected to be able to like, you're going to pick up some cargo and you expected to be able to drive your minivan, like deep into your subconscious, like to- totally deliberately and like put, things in of your choosing and bring them back. But what's more likely to happen is you just park your minivan at the loading bay, like at the subconscious conscious barrier and somebody brings something and they stuff it in. And like your job is just to take it to like wherever the recorder or whatever and unload it and see what it is. And that even finding out what it is, it's like in the moment you might be like, Oh, this is cool. Or, Oh, this is terrible. or It's weird or whatever. And then later, as you uh, reflect on it, or if you have a recording, you can listen back. You can see if this is something that you see potential in that you can work with. So there's a, I feel like there's a kind of a conscious and unconscious partnership going on. Uh, and if there's no room for mistakes uh, or for just like, you know, effing around, then at least in my experience of creativity, I don't know how anything would get created. <laughs> right. I've always been curious about when, when people analyze art and they talk about symbolism and I always like, they're like, well, that's symbolic of, and I'm always like, how conscious is an author or any sort of artist to that symbolism when they create something? Or is that like, it seems like, a, uh, I don't, hopefully I'm articulate. It just seems odd to me. Cause I'm like, did they even think of that symbolism? Is it their subconscious or is that your subconscious or is that your own? Like I'm always missing, fascinated by that element. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And, and again, I, I should, I should always, I guess, try to be aware that, that some people have wildly different approaches or maybe the conscious ingredient uh, it is much stronger when they're, or, or whatever, when they're initially creating something. So that they know today I'm going to write a song. I'm going to, I'm going to write it about like this particular thing or this relationship or this thing. And others, uh, maybe it's a bit more just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm showing up here and I'm going to just begin this ritualistic, like uh, physiology thing that I do and then see what comes out. And then there actually is some symbolism I think taking place, like, I mean, like 
whether you want to conceive of it this way or not, like, you know, Carl Jung's collective unconscious is full of the archetypes and these kind of beings or, or like beings, but they're sort of principles like, uh, that just underlie all of the, the collective human psyche, he would say these are interacting and having their effects in certain ways so that when things come out, they might actually reflect those symbols and principles and so forth. And then when your mind is expressing them, it might come through in words, but to, to, to kind of uh, bookend this, I would say that I generally am somewhat like alienated or, 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 or estranged from artistic approaches that are highly, uh, highly conceptual to the point that they seem to lose their, um, to, 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 uh, if, if they are so uh, cerebral, you know, and uh, that's coming from someone that I, I like it or not. I write songs that I see as too cerebral. I would wish that they could get more, more like uh, just uh, something else. But, but yeah, it's something that gets too cerebral is a, that's a path that I don't want to pursue too, too uh, deeply. And, and sometimes you see it in like a, an art museum or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's the three lines and the three lines are cool, but like, I don't want to be told that the three lines are this other thing. <laughs> what do you, did you find yourself uh, attracted to uh, c- cerebral artists early on, or or was it because like I always strived I don't know to be more free and open when creating, but I always I don't know it's hard. I'm not articulating it as well, but like when you have a goal of what you want to be as an artist and how you get there. And sometimes I don't think people ever get to where they want to be going. Time. Yeah, no, that's, that's well articulated. <laughs> I have this working class thing in my head where I'm like, I always sound stupid. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, but that's, you know, I probably have an analog of that in my own mind, whether it's in the, the same terms. And, and that actually does relate to the question that you asked, which is, I, I think that's very true. Like we have ideas about like what kind of artists we want to be or what kind of art we want to make, but <laughs> you, you can't, we don't get to really choose. We can sort of orient or, or somewhat strategize again at the conscious level. Uh, and, and I think you can, and also by pursuing, like listening to or exploring the art that you love, Uh, And you can have some intention to like, and you have an intuition and a sensibility not to do this thing, this type of choice artistically, because it doesn't, you're not that into that kind of thing. So there is a level of like, you are uh, the architect of the path, but on the other hand, like the path just, it's just doing, is doing you. It's just doing whatever it's going to do. And and you will probably, if you, if you try to see yourself, I think in, in like, uh, in comparison to others, which I, I do all the time. Uh, you're around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have some friends who are like millionaire successful people. And I'm like, I can't compare myself to them. Cause I'm like, I, I think it's a little late in the game for me to become a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. not, but do you find there's a, a, like, there is that odd sort of accepting what you do, but then also with the conflict of, of like, like not just accepting yourself as a human, but accepting yourself as an artist. But then how do you push beyond that and not sort of ostracize? Cause some are, I don't and uh, artists are able to push and go into different ways and their fans follow and some don't. And it's, it's, it's strange to me how that works for some and not for others. It's 
Totally, totally. Uh, these ingredients are quite mysterious and uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it, 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 it would be great. To, like that, it would be nice to. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know exactly how. I mean. Yeah, because your intuitions are the things that you follow. And I, I mean, I think it, in order to clarify this conversation, we could we could even like remove the all of the people that are deliberately trying to reach like the maximal audience or something that are they're like, what does my audience want from me? What type of song is going to be big this year? Like, I'm going to write it. And then they actually write it or they try to write it and it does a good job. Or, 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 or. Even if we remove all those people that are deliberately working on it uh, in that kind of like reach the maximum audience way, then I still, I don't know, because since these people left are kind of like following the muse rather than the money. But for some reason, sometimes it, is hitting like and then people are maybe okay like maybe it has like maybe you could um <laughs> make fan like develop a fan base that uh like i don't i don't know that that they, they you didn't trick them like they weren't from the beginning they weren't thinking like yeah he's gonna or they're gonna give me more of this type of work and that's what i'm here for Maybe, or maybe if you win them over at some, like, not just the content level, but some kind of, like, meta, like, personality level or something. But then your personality could change, just like your art could change. But maybe you could cultivate a fan base that's, like, willing to take experiments with you or something. Because didn't you have that concern with, with you were considered more like a a lo-fi and then you went to, like, a recorded a more high-tech album and was that a was that something that was in your head when you made that switch like oh fuck i hope we don't lose follow or is that just following your gut and your and your muse so to speak yeah you know like yeah i think uh, i am it's such a that that's such an unfathomable uh uh thing kind of beyond be beyond a certain uh, like out, it's sort of outside of my, um, I am aware of it as a, as a process and it's something that goes on, but, but when it comes to other people's response to, to my things, I definitely worry. And I think everyone's going to hate it. I'm <laughs> sure they're all going to hate it and everything. But a lot of the time it's, I have trouble separating like my own, uh, self judgment from my projected image of what others, how others will judge me, if that makes sense. So the two are sort of one thing. And as a result, if I feel like I've failed creatively in, in a, in a song or on a record, then I think that then I just assume that everyone else feels exactly the same way. And I think it's because like of having like like maybe weaker theory of mind or something like that. So like, if I'm thinking this, they must be like thinking this or something, but yeah, I feel aesthetically. Sometimes I have questions like, man, did we do the right thing? Cause I, I love performing and I love when songs are, they have uh, just it's captured sense. It's just like, they just did it that came out that way. And that was how it came out. And this idea of multi-tracking and production and, and everything 
is, uh, of course, like incredibly valuable from a polishing representation perspective, but it, it goes against some of my earlier conceptions of what it meant to be a singer or a performer. And especially like a lot of my favorite artists and older times, how it always was because you don't have a chance to overdub. You just have to record it as it is. And especially folk music and in country music and blues and so forth. It just had this effect of like when the person does it, they just do a performance and then the performance exists but it's just one of the potentially infinite performances. I always remember Dylan saying like in No Direction Home, he was like, very few of my best performances could be found on any of my records. Like most of those could be found on stages across the world. And I, I just really like that stuff really inspired me and, and also helps me to accept failure in a, in a, in a way that I kind of, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I always think it's weird when people are so hung up on like, it sounded just like the album. I'm like, when they see somebody live and I'm like, do you want that? Like that's right. like, don't you want something unique? Cause that's what live performance is. It's its own moment that you should be thankful that you're there for. <laughs> totally yeah it's like it's a paradigm and it's it, it was the dominant paradigm for so long and really now uh there's this other thing that's grown up and other thing has lots of good things being that it's as monolithic as it or come it's actually not a monolith but it sort of just so uh like sometimes you feel like that the mainstream is like it's too much. Anyway, I, I'm not articulating here, but <laughs> we both are know. living in fear of uh, articulating. Uh, <laughs> I just, I always think it's odd to me when, like, I don't know if you know the Strange Boys, but they they're a band that I really loved, and their early sound is really raw and garage, and they quickly, like every album, something changed, and their fans wouldn't follow with them. I'm like, aren't we educated enough in music? to see that bands do this like why are why are you like when i like somebody like i like you guys i'm like oh what are they going to do next like i'm anticipating the surprise and i don't get why people get so turned off by that yeah yeah i i, I feel that completely i i don't know <laughs> i mean like I, I can see not liking something but i can't see uh being mad about it like how did how dare they or something it, that's a bit of like how could, how could someone think that right it's like yeah so yeah it's it's it speaks to me and like how personal people take their music how attached which maybe i don't know if it's healthy like but like I've had it where I feel like a personal connection to the music and the people, which if that was a, a female, that would be crazy stalker behavior. <laughs> it's like, it's not healthy, but it's hard not to, to, to do that. It's profound. I mean, you're, yeah, I feel the same. And I like, as I've grown older to this age, I've sort of, I mean, it, because like a lot of my heroes, I still remain that way. But I maybe now, like as when you're younger, you are kind of not really aware of that dynamic uh, with perspective. And then as you grow older, you can see it from inside as you see it. But then you can take the step to the side and say, like, how is that between me and that artist or whatever? And you can see that angle. And I think that you don't need to, I don't think anyone should feel the need to like absolve or, or dissolve that, that connection, but perhaps something like a, like a sublimation of it. Like 
where you realize that it is, it's partly a person that you're seeing like over there, your hero. And then it's partly like an avatar that you have created, like through your own uh, deepest like values and uh, things that you love and are passionate about. And you're seeing a mixture of yourself and them or, and some, maybe some other ingredients. And that's a very powerful uh, psychological uh, like technique to be doing. Uh, and you can, if you can have that awareness that it is a kind of like a, a technique or something, then you could probably optimize your relationship with it and not get like pulled in. Because I think some people, even when it comes to like celebrity and stuff, like, you know, celebrity is a weirdly like it has an effect on people and stuff and like both viewers and, and the celebrities themselves. And I think a lot of that could be sort of uh, hopefully like disentangled and, and relieve people's like, like problems that might come up if they do that. <laughs> I've always wondered what that would be like to have a complete stranger come up to you and be totally nervous. I've been around people and witnessed that, that, but to be the person that's receiving that, to have somebody be like, Oh my God, it's like, has to be the weirdest experience on earth. Yeah. Have yeah, you had no, that at all? No. <laughs> I mean, you know, a mild, you know, sometimes mild versions where it's like, oh, this person thinks I'm cool. Like, they don't know that I'm not actually cool, but like, this is weird. And that can be really validating. Um, and as, there's definitely a positive side of it. And I'm sure at the, at the heights of celebrity, like, you feel like some crazy positive vibes when someone gives you that uh, energy. But at the same time, yeah, it comes with some, some real, like, dangerous as well like mainly for well maybe for both people but certainly for the celebrity like if as they say goes to their head like that could really you have to like ground yourself right as like a, a, a organism like a, out of seven billion in some kind of like you know or like 150 million billion or whatever you know and so you have to feel that uh, to the extent that you can uh, as a part of nature rather than as some kind of weird god. Yeah. <laughs> We're the only animal that has, I think David, is it David Frost? Or Frost, the co-creator of, of uh, Twin Peaks said that fame is, only exists within humans. Like it's no other animal. And it's like, I never thought, I was like, oh, that's, it's like such a weird, it's, I don't know. Fame just is the weirdest thing on earth to me. I'm like, why, why are we so fascinated by? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a mysterious that I have the same curiosity. It's very strange. Um, I wanted to, I was curious about your roads of, cause obviously you went the science road, but while, while you were pursuing that or getting, was, did you have a conflict between music and science and which road you were like, we're going to go down. And when you became a scientist, were you like, Oh man, I should be doing music. It was, what is, that was kind of a broad question. <laughs> no, no, that, man, it's perfect because that's, that really does capture a lot of things. And what I would say, like, I still feel that now in my life. Uh, so this is within the context of a life where time is limited and there's so many interesting domains and like uh, fun things that you could explore uh, but many of them to get like a sense of, of real connection into them, it will take you some time, right? So like if you want to learn a, a science, like a branch of science, or if you want to learn a new language, 
like no way are you going to be able to really learn all the branches of science or you could generalize through them. But you're, you could, do you want to learn languages? Maybe focus on one, maybe two, but you know, you, you have to choose. And then you need to work and you need to maybe find some exercise or different, different times. You got to make sure you sleep, your relationships are important. And so everything is limited time wise. Uh, so anything I could, I feel like almost all the world domains, uh, even those that I'm not really interested in by nature are probably deep enough. And like, uh, there are parts of them that are cool enough and exciting enough that, that it would be totally, uh, worth devoting a life to like even my life. And the difficult thing for me has always been like it's time management or something. And maybe this goes back to my like procrastination thing that I was saying, because I, yeah, I always needed or felt this need of desire to do music and be making songs. And even any scraps of validation I was getting in that field were, were so valuable to me. Uh, and at the same time, like, the path is a bit clearer if you follow like a, a scholarly path or like a professional path or whatever, that it makes more sense practically, it seems. So anyway, I'm giving you like a weird roundabout answer, but the, for me, it was like when I was in grad school, I had just graduated my undergrad degree. And during that time I got really, really like, I'd always wanted to be a songwriter since I was like, 14 or something, but I got really, really, I was like, I'm writing songs. I'm writing songs. And cause I was like 20, I was like, and they're good. Like, and I'm good. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was getting really excited, but I was also like, you know, really shy, like, uh, and not really sharing them uh, in the world and getting like scared of criticism as I remain to this day, but to an extreme probably degree back then, I was not able to get myself the feedback that would say like, Nigel, you're on the right track, but uh, it's not ready yet. Like it's going to need, you know, more development, more, more, more practice and so forth. Uh, and then I had this year of growing existential fear. Like I was back in Halifax where I grew up and, different things, factors for me, like, uh, but really kind of like missed, like I felt like my old friends from the city from, who had stayed there while I was away at university had kind of like developed a social group that had like all these mores and everyone's kind of a young adult now. And I am like a perennial child that doesn't know how to fit in or something. And like all kinds of worries there. Plus like the first shows I was playing, I felt crazy being at shows. I didn't feel like, uh, I didn't feel like, ah, here I am, like in my element or anything like that. Uh, and then also I had no job and I didn't understand a thing about, uh, money at that time. And yeah, it's I just, just, I just I, it took me forever to understand money. I just was always like, I'll spend it. And then I'd be broke and I'd be like, no, well now what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is a great, uh, great privilege. I mean, it's a wonderful thing. In fact, like the longer that you can extend that in some ways that you want to slice the onion is the better because it's like it allows you to be as idealistic as possible for as long as possible. On the other hand, you got to you have to pay for that ignorance, like with the cold, hard truth water at some point. And so 
yeah, so I think where a lot of people experience like the depths of their social anxiety or whatever comes often in high school or a bit earlier. For me, it really came in my early 20s. Um, also factors like smoking weed and stuff like that, uh, you know, in, enhance that. Um, and yeah, so it took, took me some time. And so after a year or so, I went back to grad school and that was deeply uh, like helpful for me to have a kind of a, a structure uh, and like peers and, uh, like, like a mentor and yeah, also like, I, I, I love about it that it's, it is kind of like you're set your own schedule. Like you have to fail like 20 times a week on your own time. You're already, you know, it's, it's like you choose how and when to do that. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 I can't, uh, express enough gratitude that I was able to, to get that experience of, of going to grad school in, in biochemistry. Uh, and on the other hand, I was also still pursuing music, writing songs and stuff. So it was like kind of a structure or a scaffold during which I could do both of these things. And that really helped me uh, also earning a very modest paycheck, but earning something. And then, uh, I guess after that, eventually though, like, because both of those, sorry, it's such a long answer. No, no, not at all. Both of those fields, they, they're they both, if you want to do either one, they both require a lot of enthusiasm. Like if you want to be a good uh, musician, of course, you do like really want to do it. You have to like believe and try. And or if you don't believe it's okay, but just keep teaching yourself to believe and so forth. Uh, and same with science. Like you can't just phone it in. Uh, it's, I mean, there may be some jobs out there that are like more just like you clock in your mind can be wherever for a lot of, and no, I'm not trying to say like my mind wasn't distracted while I was at work. Cause of course it was, but yeah, you're it's, it's, it's a vocation. They're both vocations. And so I could feel that pressure and also feel like, and everybody feels imposter syndrome in grad school, I think. And I had this added thing of like, am I even supposed to be doing science or whatever? So, but then I was supposed to be doing it seemingly. I mean, and, I, and I'm glad, I'm so glad I did it. But then when things started to happen modestly for NAPBIS in like 2015 uh, or so, then I could start to see, we started being able to have opportunities to go on tour. And my supervisor like was amazing. He was like, yeah, it's okay. You can take this time as long as you make it up and you come back and, and everything so we could tour. And yeah, from there, we eventually it came to the point where it seemed like we were going to make like, you know, like $15,000 a year each for, you know, <laughs> for the foreseeable future. And like that proved to only sort of be true. Uh, but at about that time I was able to, uh, to leave, uh, like I had finished my degree and I'd been working part-time in the lab for a bit. And then I, I left sort of to, to do music full-time and, I sort of have been doing that since, uh, but <laughs> only getting paid for some. Of that. <laughs> what was it like to, f- f- what was it like and to who was it that you shared the first time you shared one of your songs? That's a great question. Um, Cause these moments, they mean a lot to, to a person. And certainly uh, like if you're doing your music and yeah, you're excited about it it just means a lot and you have to have a lot of trust in, in, in the person that you share it with, not just that they love you, but also that they know enough to see potential, uh, to be able to look past surface level, uh, flaws and so forth and to see 
depth potential in there. Uh, that is actually so important. Uh, anyway, uh, my friend, I, I'm remembering my friend Mike is probably the, the person I was able to share this stuff at the earliest age. And he's also the one that like helped me to record some of this like stuff from, from early on. Like after I went away to school, like uh, he didn't go to school right away and he was working on music and things in, in Halifax. Actually, he just finished his electrical engineering degree this year. So he took like kind of an opposite path of taking a bunch of time to just pursue this stuff. And then eventually went back. But he really helped me a lot. Uh, Mike was just like, yeah, just really great, really supportive and encouraging, but also practically minded, like how to do this, how to bring these performances in. And just, it's so fun to explore together with uh, with someone else, you know, like this domain of, especially recording. Recording is so fun. And also like, there's so much detail and everything. So if you have someone to bounce ideas off of or to learn from, it really helps. Yeah, so Mike really helped me a lot. <laughs> That's an interesting point because I I just think of my creative background and a lot of people in, I guess, teachers or status don't view when they see something. I, I wonder how many people actually go, oh, look for the quali- the good quality as opposed to going, oh, it's just this. Because that was my experience. A lot of people just going, yeah, we've seen that. And it's like instead of pulling out the gems of what this person may be able to create. And it, I, I don't know. I just wish more people would do that. <laughs> it was just a realization I had. Um, who were some of the songwriters that attracted you to wanting to write music and songs? Yeah. So uh, for me, the, 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 the biggest one that was so profound for me when I was like a young teenager um maybe before that uh was green day and 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 to this day i mean it's uh like billy joe as a songwriter and that band uh have they've just been so influential on me in in so many ways and in in the kinds of ways where it's really deep and it's like so obvious to you for a long time but that's your favorite thing and you're listening to it every day or whatever just spinning those albums in the discman. Uh, and then also you explore, you kind of leave behind things for a while and you, you explore. And as I was doing that, everyone else also kind of had done that when I was sort of growing up and it seemed like green day wasn't cool because I was still so excited when American media came out, I was in like grade 10 or something. And yeah, you know, I could feel, I also had this thing, right? And then punk rock kind of ate, ate, eats itself in this way uh, because it is concerned with like like selling out and phoniness and inauthenticity and stuff, which for the record, some <laughs> people should be concerned about phoniness and inauthenticity, I think. But at the same time, like, who is the judge <laughs> of authenticity? Right. I agree. There's a lot of people who are the guardians of what is art. And I'm like, who the fuck put you there? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, yeah. you can, you're entitled to your opinion, but some people do it with such verbose <laughs> commitment. It's just like, who, you, and this is a thing I go into a lot is like, you can't 
there you can't theorize there's no musical theories that could apply to nostalgia and emotional connections people have and memories that people have to music and that is more powerful than any fucking theory that you're going to learn or feeling you can't take that away from somebody utterly yeah profound profoundly so and, and that's like that's underappreciated i mean that's actually widely appreciated by like non-experts and people that don't think of themselves as like great music critics and knowledgeable connoisseurs just the everyday people that love the music that they always loved but if you hang around lots of um like musicians or or people that are have sort of like acquired tastes and everything then a lot of that favorite stuff will start to get you know just disparaged or whatever and green day was it was huge for them i mean yeah, and it's not that I lo- loved like every single song on American Idiot or the albums that followed as much as I loved maybe some of the the songs off of those earlier records. But that didn't mean that like the songs weren't great. And like you know, there's some anyway. There there's, can be some trappings and things that are harder to ignore. Or like if I, if I listen to late stage Dylan or, or mid stage Dylan or whatever, it can be the same. Like obviously, I, the early records have such power. Anyway, I'm kind of I'm trying to figure out where it is, but uh, I yeah, I, I think it's interesting because for I, when I heard your cover of the Green Day song, which this is why I like covers, is that they can present the song in a way that you hadn't heard in a before, obviously, but like it reminds you of the great craft that has that that song came from, like yes, I sort of I haven't paid attention to Green Day in a long time for I I am not fluent in what they have done um but that your cover I was like holy fuck this is a a, it's a great cover but it also is a reminder of what a great song it is like it's a great song unarguably you can't argue that that's the thing yeah that 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 really makes me like something I ponder a lot is, is the difference between like an abstractable composition, like a written song versus the um, like musical presentation, in which it exists in its original form. And the problem with the musical presentation piece as like uh, as a means of judging songwriters or, or the greatest bands down through the ages is that a, you can have great sounding bands, but they're not writing anything especially uh, like uh, incisive or, or moving or whatever, like from a verbal meaning coherence uh, angle. And that's okay. But if you're talking about like songwriting and lyrics and lyrical meaning, then it's, it's a really important thing to be able to do if you're going to evaluate across genres is to be able to abstract the, the lyric and the, the melody and all this uh, and maybe the basic harmony and rhythms of the song from the production of the song, from like how intensely the guitars are compressed, from even from the way that the singer is delivering the lyrics, because all those things, not only they come from their specific time, and I mean, Dookie still sounds amazing to me today, but what happened is also that it was so amazing, like multi-diamond sales like all over the world so many bands formed so many like music industry plants came up in uh in response it's just all good but then it's like the sound slowly gets caricature caricatured and stereotypes and everything 
so that when people hear the original, they hear also the association of all this stuff they don't like. You have to, I don't know, it's, it's a phenomenon that it can confuse, I think, the evaluation. It can confound the evaluation. So, yeah, yeah I but, feel like Pearl Jam suffered from that because everyone was like, oh, Creed. And it's like, and like, I think Pearl Jam had that same sort of arc of like, everyone loved them, then they became too big. And then it's like, ah, uh, and I like Pearl Jam a lot, but I also, I'm like, they suffer from overproduction. <laughs> it's like, there, there's things about it. Like I pay, I'll, I'll sv- listen to what they are doing just because I'm like, Oh, it's them. But yeah. I'm like, Oh man, go back. Like in my opinion, I'm like, you, you've become too commercial, like in their production where it's like, if you just loosened up a little bit and when I feel that way with a lot of bands, I get, I don't, what, what do you, do you, I guess you answered that question. I was going to say like, why do people, get that way with green day. Cause I feel like that is like, but you, you covered it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I could like, it is a kind of thing. I mean, I could talk for, for hours and I like probably cumulatively the amount of hours I've spent like proselytizing green day to people. Like, <laughs> and it seems to know. come back around though. Cause like Pearl jam was like, Oh, they, those guys suck. And now they're sort of like the elder statesmen of rock and they like, and it's, and they've never really, gone like they've still always sold they've become like the grateful dead now where they just tour but it, it's weird how that comes around and then everyone's like oh they're so fucking great it's like where were you 10 years ago <laughs> for sure yeah yeah that's fashion and the winds of change and everything i mean like yeah, i don't believe it. like that's the thing like i yeah for i'm yeah I don't know what I'm trying to say like this the new snob is the anti snob and the new snob is like Right. But you know, <laughs> do you feel like you've changed in that way? Cause I feel like I used to, when I was young, I'd be like, fuck them. They suck. And like, I mentioned the grateful dead and I used to, you know, because I was post punk grew up in that like Nirvana, Jesus lizard era. I was like, grateful sure. dead suck. I never listened to the dead. I just was like, everybody else was like, they suck. As like, now I'm finding myself going, yeah. Oh, some of these songs are actually really good. Not, uh, the, yeah, yeah. not the 30 minute jam shit. <laughs> 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 I mean, you, what you just said is utterly relatable as well, and uh, that should tell, that should be good medicine against the, the you know anyone's internal snob is like without even knowing something, I can have an opinion about it just because of culturally like what I picked up, and that's just the way that others are picking up on uh, when they form like uh, like an unreasonable. Or, or uninformed opinion about something, you know? Yeah. So yeah, totally. Right. It's weird. And I found myself too, with some music where I was like, I just wasn't ready. Like I, as a young man, I was not psychologically ready for some, some what these people were doing. Totally. And now I go back and discover things. I'm like, Oh, I was out of my mind. And then some of the stuff I listened to as a young man, I'm like, this is shit. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. right. It was just yeah. really angry. And it, that's, so that was all I was needing at the time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And another thing, an, an interesting topic here is like the different uh, functions of music. Like this is something that I never conceived of when I was young. And I just only wanted to hear more or less concise, like very lyrically driven songs that I get the meaning of without having to pay close attention to. And I didn't sort of waste my time with like a bunch of sophistry. Uh, And then like, I just realized over the years and I 
remember hearing someone say about like like classical Indian music that the purpose is totally different from like uh, from even they were probably talking about Western classical music, but Western classical music too, totally different purpose than and things that aren't lyrically driven they just they serve a different function in your life like you're just like living your life and you have these different activities in your day so sometimes it's better to not be have to be parsing lyrical meaning like listening to like lyric songs and or sometimes i so i know that now that now i know that people want to chill out or people want to feel like cool or people want to like chill beats to study to or like i like that kind of stuff you know so yeah it's i think that's an important piece here but uh, it would be great if everybody appreciated like the classic like song writing like song writing to me like i love, like i just love i do love like lyric lyrical meaning I, th- those are the things that usually make me cry right i'm not gonna usually cry listening to an ambient album but i easily cry like listening to like a beautifully written song where a singer means it when you were saying that like indian music has a some of that music has a different purpose do you do you recall what that is because that really really interests me sure well this guy that uh was an indian musician uh, it was like it was actually on like a tour of a fort and so he's like the one of the musicians that sits there and, like he gives you a little 15 20 minute performance and like sells you cd if you want uh and he was playing the sarod this beautiful uh it's kind of like, I think it's a bit like a violin, but you fret it with your fingernail, some of these strange features. And he said that the purpose, like, is different than Western music. The purpose is usually for meditation. So not to, like, not necessarily to, like, excite you or get you going or pump you up or whatever, but actually this piece of music is going to be 20 minutes, 30 minutes, sometimes an hour long. And what you want to do is more or less just let it, like, wash over you it's the same raga the whole time the variations are going to be gradually introduced the speed is going to be gradually picked up there's going to be a lot of very subtle ornamentation of the notes and so forth near the beginning and it's yeah it's just totally different than than a western melody across four bars it's just a different type of thing yeah so he's a meditation um i know do you meditate I do, yeah. I, I, <laughs> it's something I'm trying to get back at because my brain has been pure chaos lately. But I noticed there was a picture you did for an article. I think it was a selfie, and you were in front of your bookshelf. And I don't, hopefully I have the books written down. I don't. I have them in my computer, though. But you had a bunch of Japanese literature and the Bhagavad I Now I can't pronounce it. And the Bhagavad Gita, yeah. And I was just curious if the, if those are things that you're into eastern philosophy or what and as a scientist do you believe in god uh, great these are great questions yeah <laughs> like very rich I, I okay so the first the first one definitely a man i'm so interested in uh wisdom philosophies from the world over uh i think that there is like a tremendous amount to be to be learned from engaging with these texts with these philosophies um especially uh if it's done in a in a living way uh, and in a way that's not sort of uh totally cerebral or conceptual uh so in other words like em- embodied and experienced uh rather than being like ah, i see what he's saying about like 
you know, not having a preference for heat and cold or whatever or for pleasure, but actually like working to develop that equanimity uh, through practices. Uh, these these have a lot to offer us in terms of uh, just giving us greater fulfillment in our lives and uh, relieving a lot of the suffering that we feel. Uh, so there's definitely a lot of, of value there, and then and uh, and and across all these traditions. But I love, uh, I do love like dialectic philosophies that don't just say like one one is right, the other is wrong, but usually say like there's the right, there's the wrong, and then there's that which kind of transcends the right. And the right and the wrong is a useful paradigm for like figuring out how you want to structure your life and orient yourself. But ultimately, know that you're not. Like it's, you can't get into heaven by good works alone or whatever, you know, it's like, there's something deeper here, uh, beyond the, you know, the right and wrong or whatever. So the dialectic philosophies of the yin and yang, uh, each contain, each opposite contains the seed of the, the opposite. So it's always both are present. Everything is a manifestation of both expansion and contraction at the same time. These types of philosophies I really love. And you can find that throughout the East usually, uh, but also that there are uh, uh, what you would call it, like mirrors of the same philosophy or same principles in the Western uh, spiritual traditions. So I love that stuff. I think it's all great. And then the God question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so sure like it's all definitional so it's you know probably no one's definition of god even if they think they're defining it the same as their brother or sister, they're defining it somewhat differently uh and i think there should be there should be room like one of the good definitions of god would probably be like a god that doesn't really give that much of a shit about the <laughs> definitions you give it <laughs> I'll let you go. And I thank you so very much for your time. And I'll let you know when this is up and all that stuff. It'll be probably a couple of weeks because I'm always a little ahead. Sounds great. Th Matt, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with The Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or themattdwyer.com or Conversations with Dwyer at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.